everyone to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. This is your regular host, Michael T.Y.P. Cole, and it's episode 76. And um, I have to say, uh, we have a very rare guest on, uh, <laughs> Carl Castaneda. Hey there, who, folks. Uh, as far as I can tell, um, I don't keep super awesome records on, on, on co-hosts, but <laughs> I believe you've only been on once before. Yes. And it was episode six. It was indeed. It June fourteenth, uh, two thousand seven. So it's been a long time. It has. I um, was still in high school when we recorded that yeah. episode. Wow. <laughs> now I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, it was you. It was you, me, and Wendy. I remember that episode. I, I distinctly remember that episode, actually. Yeah, um, that was maybe our first time attempting more than two people on a podcast, and, and we really don't do that very frequently. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was the first time that uh, that that uh, we tried it for radio trivia. I think I no, I don't. No, I think you were editing the show at that point. I think I edited the first two radio yeah, trivia. I, I started. I started editing pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, I, yeah. It's just easier for me to do it. You, I think at the, t- at the time you were probably editing for Radio Free Nintendo. Yeah, too, I, I was hosting so. and editing back then. But yeah, no, I mean, Radio Trivia is my last stop on my NWR comeback tour. You know, I started <laughs> off with the newscast that I went to RFN, and there was only one stop left, so I had to come by Radio Trivia. Well, but you you also have your. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a distinct podcast, really, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a featurette. Uh, really awesome. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, reset button. Uh, yeah. Reset button. Yeah, and uh, it's really fascinating. You've only done a couple of them, but they've all been really good and, and uh, pretty diff- distinct. So um, it's on the Radio Free Nintendo feed. So listeners, if you haven't heard it, uh, check it out. And, and you also do a, a article write up for it on the site too. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's always an article to go along with the feature, so that if you know you listen to it and you want to know a little bit more about the game, you can always check out the feature. And I'm, with each entry, I'm getting them to be a little bit more distinct. The first couple are they're like the the text version is basically just a text version of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So with the, with every version, they've been getting a little bit more distinct. And uh, actually, by the time this episode goes up, you will be able to see uh, reset button four, uh, which is zombies ate my neighbors. Wow, you, you, this is such an interesting selection of games because they're not like necessarily like the top tier, but they're all most of them are games that I've heard of, been interested in, or at least I know the person you're talking to. Yeah, and uh, and so it makes for a very interesting interview. And a lot of a lot of people are uh, pretty loose and open because some of them are have moved on to other things, they're not working for the same company. Exactly. So yeah, they're, they're a bit you know their tongues are a bit looser after a decade or so. Of, <laughs> it's really cool because, like, you know, back in the NES and, this, you know, maybe in the Super Nintendo days, no one really signed NDAs, so there's no real legal repercussion for speaking out, and then also, yeah. I mean, these games are so old, nobody cares, you know, they ever, I mean, the last guy I talked to, Hal Barwood, is like, yeah, you should totally download an emulator and play my game, like, <laughs> he was, well, he, he was totally cool with it. I, I think I mentioned this to you, but uh, mm-hmm. Hal Barwood was my very first interview at, at uh, what was then Planet N2000 for mm-hmm. a few more days. I joined uh, my first day on the job. I was covering um, something at uh, University of Southern California. They were kind of kicking off their um, interactive entertainment section within their uh, uh, school of arts, right. um, you know, music and arts and performing arts. And it's, it's since become a, a pretty uh, well-known program. In, field mm-hmm. but um yeah like he was my first interview it was the first day doing anything with the website i was kind of scared shitless but he was, uh, <laughs> he was a really cool guy to talk with and um yeah how's fun he's <laughs> he's you know every every question is always it's you never really know what you're gonna get with hell he's very outspoken 
Well, he, he wasn't back when I was interviewing because, of course, it was right before. Uh, it was right after the, the Space World, really. It was like January of 2001. Mm-hmm. And, um, Weren't they working and so, on Bounty Hunter then? Was he, I think he was still with LucasArts at that point. He was still with LucasArts. Yeah. Um, we talked, I think, a little bit about his, uh, Indiana Jones games on the N64. And uh, I don't remember if he would announce any projects for uh, GameCube at that time. He said he, he was familiar with it. He was... He had a development kit. His team had a development kit. And they were working on something, but I don't know what yeah. uh, at the time. So it was kind of during that period when when we knew of the GameCube, but not very much. You know, we had the the demo reel with uh, with uh, the realistic looking Zelda, and they actually showed that at that event at USC. Really? Uh, they, they basically brought over the reel from Space World, and uh, and uh, I think it was Ken Lobb actually who was presenting. No way! That's so funny. it was a, it was a different era. Uh, oh yeah, totally. I have to say. No, I mean, the <laughs> I cool told thing you, that, getting old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cool thing though about reset button is like, well, there are really like two rules. One, they have it has to be an, you know an American game because let's face it, as much as I would love to do like a Japanese game, the, I, I'm not going to be able to do the podcast and the yeah. interview is not going to happen. Just you know, whatever. Right? You could maybe do a European. Maybe thing, yeah. Sort of well, actually, I mean, uh, the first one to do Silver Surfer was actually developed in London, I believe, and the guy I talked to you, Graham Devine. He's in, he used to live in England, but now he's, right. you know, he's, uh, he's American, he lives in America now. Right. But well, point is, English-speaking uh, countries, or, or at least Europe, where they probably speak English anyway. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. But I mean, the, the kind of the ace in the hole, the reason, I think the reason I've been able to get all these interviews is that everybody wants to talk about their old games. Like, you know, the, my second interview was with Lewis Castle. Like, Lewis is insanely busy. Mm-hmm. Like, all the stuff he's doing with Instant Action and all that stuff. So, like... The fact that I got him in for an interview, I think, is solely based on the fact that I wanted to talk about a game that is, like, near and dear to his heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that's totally been my ace in the hole for this whole project, is that people want to talk about their old games. And the fact that I'm asking them about it is, like, I don't know, it, I guess that maybe endears me to them. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of funny, because um, I almost had a similar experience um, once when I was interviewing um, Iguchi-san, and it was supposedly for... Um, uh, I think it was the Animal Crossing game for the DS. Okay. Um, and I did, did talk about that with him for a while, but since um, it was, he also worked on a lot of other games as kind of a flunky um, that, that I liked, um, and um, and so talked about Mario World and I think Star Fox for the uh, Super Nintendo. And um, I'm hoping you said the right name, but anyway, he, <laughs> he seemed to really like he'd been talking about Animal Crossing all day and whatever totally. Wi-Fi connection, and uh, you know questions that. Relatively safe, like you know, you know, how did you go about designing levels for Mario World or whatever? Right. Um, it was just such a change of pace. I oh, mean, sure, yeah. And uh, and so it, it seemed like you really enjoyed that interview. So I, I think there definitely is something to that mm-hmm. uh, what you're saying there. So uh, uh, anyway, radio trivia. Radio um, trivia, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great podcast. You're listening to it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, we're gonna get started with uh, the game uh, of. Uh, I'll just say it's game number one. Okay.
I don't really have anything to say about that song. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> That song is one of my favorites in that in the game that we're talking about because it's so it's such a goofy part of an otherwise perhaps serious game that it's so it's just so awesome. I love that song. Yeah, actually, I was I heard that song I'm like this is more like um, a Goemon game, and it's it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's actually like very much like the the scene that it's in. It, it the context that it's in, in the game it fits so perfectly. Um, yeah, no, it's so super awesome. Love that song. All right, well, um, we do have a question for you. I don't know if you'd like to read it. I will go ahead and read it. Uh, the question is, when you meet Benjamin Keane, you make a wager on who lives or dies based on what game? So think about what game it was.
Okay. Okay. <laughs> this, those two songs make this game sound much more anime influenced than I would have thought. It's very anime influenced, and actually, I take back what I said about the other song. This is my favorite song from the game. Um, so, do we want to say what game it was now? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So this game was uh, Killer Seven, which I, I the whole time we were talking about, like, do I want to give any hints because I feel like you know maybe people who are more familiar with my time on RFN <laughs> and the site in, in general might be like, okay, well, if Carl, the fact is that yours on and this the show, show is like a very large hint as to the fact that Killer Seven's on the show. Yeah, I know. So yeah. like, I I was very. I remember when you were when you were introducing the the, the songs, you were like, I could feel it that you wanted to say something, but you didn't want to give it away. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I mean the 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 second song. Or well, first we want to answer the trivia question. Oh yeah. So um, the question was uh, that after you meet someone by the name of Benjamin Keen, you make a wager on the live. Uh, I'm sorry. You make a wager, uh, and it's based on what game? And it is. It is Russian roulette. Actually, uh, Garson Smith meets this guy Benjamin Keen who wants to become president. Uh, they, if 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 uh, Garcian wins, Benjamin Keen's gonna tell him the secret to how to get with the ladies, and if uh, Keen wins, Garcian's gonna assassinate the president. Uh, I don't know how they're gonna get it past this, of course, because they're playing Russian roulette and whoever loses dies. But that's just sort of the craziness of Killer Seven, I guess. Um, I I mean I know of Killer Seven. I've seen videos of Killer Seven. Uh-huh. I don't understand what it's all about why, uh, why you think it's so awesome i you um, know it's it's hard to explain i think it's a game that is for some people and not for others um just the time that i played it at and the experience that i had was really 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 great uh obviously i mean i reviewed it for the side game out of nine out of ten I, I think it's one of my favorite games from the gamecube i know johnny has played it he doesn't really understand <laughs> why i like it but whatever johnny likes caligula so he can't talk shit about anybody um but yeah, no, I mean, Killer7 is, 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 it's really, it's a strange game that has a lot of quirks, but I feel like those quirks are kind of endearing, so mm-hmm. that, that's why I'm a big fan of it. But uh, what, I was, what I was saying earlier was, the second game, uh, it's actually this part of the game where you're fighting the seven, like, Power Rangers, or, like, Super Sentai characters. Okay. And so that's why it's all, like, really, like, pumped up, like, you know, motivation music, I right, guess. Right, right, right. And then um, the last game that we just played, the uh, last song that we just played, um, is, like, this corridor music that plays right before you go into each boss uh, battle. So, again, it's, like, pumping you up, like, you know, it's getting you excited. And right. it's, like, I remember whenever I would go through, because you only hear that song, you hear the song every level or every, you know, stage or whatever. But you only hear it for like 10 seconds because the corridor is only so long and you only hear it in the corridor. And I would always stay in the corridor so I could, you know, keep on <laughs> listening to it. Even though you um, you can make it through in like 10 seconds. But yeah, no, it's nice. one of my favorite games. Though. One of my favorite uh, songs from that game. Nice. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like there's more to say about this game. I mean... It's very stylized in its mm-hmm. presentation and in its gameplay, right? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the gameplay, honestly, is a very well-dressed-up target practice, to be honest. Um, multiple boss battles are based on sharpshooting, and the, just the way that the controls are based, I mean, you never, you're never uh, moving and shooting at the same time. Uh, and to shoot, you you launch into first-person mode, you know, there's a reticle, uh, reticle at the center of the screen, so... It's very like you know stop, 
point the gun and then fire it. And then, I mean, the, the random enemies that you meet throughout the game all have, like, a highlighted uh, weak spot. So, again, it's, a lot of the game is basically target practice. But they dress it up in a way that I feel is really compelling. Like, uh, and also the, the way the camera moves, it's always, like, in these really cinematic angles. But at the same time, the controls aren't necessarily conventional. It's not like, you know, you're, you're moving the analog stick to move. You press A to go forward and B to turn around and go backwards. So, so it's like a driving game. <laughs> almost, yeah. It's like it's the, you're on a set path. So you, you, the cinematic angles, you know, that you can get in trouble with in the game like Resident Evil or, you know, the first Devil May Cry where it's like the angles are so, like, they're always changing ground, which is always changing the control scheme because you never know, you know, which forward is actually forward. In Killer7, they get around that by just, you know, you press A and you go forward. Okay. And so they, you get, they get around like that. But yeah, no, I mean, the game is just like, it's just a really kooky, weird experience that you will not get anywhere else in the GameCube. I mean, you're definitely not going to get a game like this on, you know, maybe any other system, any other system period that isn't like a grasshopper manufacturer game. So if you are, you know, also you can get it for like $2. Like it's so cheap because it didn't sell any copies. So, you know, if you see it in the GameStop somewhere, pick it up. Cool. Yeah. That's right, my so that's, ringing endorsement. That's <laughs> Killer7. Um, and, and the guy's a paraplegic or something? What's... what's uh, yeah, what's one, of the, one of the guys, uh, Harmon Smith, because you, you play as these seven different personalities, and then Harmon is like the eighth personality. Or maybe, maybe he's one of the seven. I always forget how many there actually are. Uh, and he's in a wheelchair, yeah. Um, but the others aren't. They're all... Uh, What's it called? They're all right. They are. They are all able-bodied, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, now that that's out of the way, we're going to move on to the second song or second game. And uh, I guess I should say that Carl doesn't know any of the uh, remaining selections. I'm so. in the dark. I'm playing along just like the rest of you at home. Take that. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Whoa. Oh, so I need to have a snappy comeback on every single uh, song? Can, can I just say next? <laughs> That song threw me off because I heard the first song and I was like, oh, okay, I think, I, I think I'm getting there. You know, I was like, all right, as soon as I hear the second song, I'll know what it is. And that song totally, like, threw me off. I don't know. I'm back at square one. Okay, so here's your question then. All right. So this entry in the series was uh, rather pointlessly hyped, in my opinion, uh, okay. for one of its bosses. Um, what was it about that boss that was so new to the franchise? Hmm.
Okay, so I'm probably very, very wrong, but I do have a guess. All right. And I know when people hear this, they're like, oh, is fucking it up again. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But uh, my guess, because it sounds like a Mega Man game. Is it a, is it a Mega Man game? Yes. Is it Mega Man 9? Yes, it is. Oh, you can't tell, but I am raising my arms up in the air because I actually <laughs> got one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's Mega Man 9 for uh, Wii, uh, as well as the other uh, current generation platforms. Um, a game that I've only played at E3, um, and only needed to play at E3 to know <laughs> it was not for me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've never been the biggest Mega Man fan. I do enjoy it on occasion. It's the sort of thing where I might play through an old school Mega Man game maybe halfway, two-thirds of the way, and then grow tired of it. Yeah. But... Um, the, the levels they had on display at E3 2008? I don't remember. I guess it was probably that. Uh, yeah, I think it was... Yeah, it must have been 2008. Was, it was yeah. the mini E3, basically. <laughs> and, um, and they're just so mean-spiritedly hard. Yeah, it is pretty hard. I'm like, no, thank you. you know, some people are like, oh, this is awesome, it's awesome, it's so hard. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, the ones I like were the easy ones people complain about. <laughs> totally, yeah. I'm definitely in that boat as well. I downloaded this one for Reware because uh, I think it was because like I was watching. I think Jeremy Parrish had some sort of feature on it, and he was making it out to be so good. And I mean, I should have known better because Jeremy Parrish is like a champion of those like ridiculously hard, you know, Mega Man games. Right. And like, so I downloaded it, and it was I, it just kicked my ass. Like I was just I played, I got through the first level, and I got through some of the second one. And then I just kind of jumped around from level to level, thinking, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be good at this one, but each one was, like, harder than the last, so I don't know. I, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I don't it. mind games that kick my ass, but I need to feel like... You're getting somewhere. You're getting somewhere, or at least that it isn't all kind of cheap shots. Mm. I mean, another game I played recently, I, I went back and was playing a little more Final Fantasy XIII the other day, in the end game where there are a bunch of side quests, and some of them are really, you know, some of the bosses are really difficult, and... Um, and for some reason, I wasn't getting as frustrated playing against that because I knew it was a, a bonus feature or something I could walk away and try something different at any time. Right. Um, and I still have some caveats on it. The way they, that game does their mission system kind of sucks because you can only do one mission. Oh, well, time. I mean, I'm not a big fan of but, Final Fantasy Thirteen. I played yeah. through the first three hours and sent it back to Gamefly. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's not fair. That's not a game you really should be doing Gamefly with anyway. Yeah, probably not. My, my point is... The game can be hard and still be enjoyable, but Walkman 9 or Mega Man 9 or whatever you call it, it's just mean-spirited. That's the only way I can put it. I mean, even something like Sin and Punishment doesn't quite feel mean-spirited in the same way. Totally, yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at a game like Beautiful Joe, which is very, very difficult, but yeah. not, like, painfully so, like, and it's and always the way it's split up is it's, it's split up into such short segments that replaying through some parts or it's not it's not that big of a deal because it'd be right back where you were in within you know five or six minutes right and that that's kind of the way sin and punishment is broken now especially sin and punishment too so um i think treasure does it really really well as far as you know finding the right difficulty barring of course like ikaruga which is like hard <laughs> for the sake of being hard uh yeah like uh, i don't did you ever play astro boy omega factor i love that game so do i it is one of my favorites on the game boy advance and that game is also, you know, somewhat difficult, but it has a way of ramping up the difficulty where it, does. it never feels cheap, you know? It's a very well-crafted game. 
So um, we're getting off track again. Um, uh, Mega Man 9 um, has a female robot boss, mm-hmm. which for some reason people made a big deal out of. Was that a first, really? Uh, I thought so. Splash Woman? Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that would, I mean, I guess if you're like a diehard Mega Man fan, maybe that, you know, tickles your fancy, but... Eh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who gives a crap? Yeah. It's, it's a boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, well, enough of us talking about other games because we didn't really play Mega Man 9 very much. <laughs> um, we've said enough about it, I think. Yeah. Except that this was requested by Killer Manjaro. Oh, uh, Killer Manjaro. Always very active in the uh, podcast discussion forum. Yeah, and uh, no, he did not request Killer 7. He didn't request Killer 7? Oh, well, no, I you, requested Carl Killer 7. Did. I did it, yeah. yeah I, you know, he should have, though, yeah. because Killer 7. He should have, because of his name. Because of his name, of course. <laughs> right. And uh, the next two are also listener requests, so uh, please send them in. I love your listener requests. Um mm-hmm. You can email me, typ at nintendoworldreport.com, or you can uh, find us, uh, find an email form for sending an email to me or anyone else on staff uh, by clicking on the, the staff link at the bottom of the webpage. And uh, you should be able to find a, a form through that. Anyway, on to game three. So I am very proud of myself because I knew what this game was within like three seconds. Well, I, I tried to uh, to choose games you might be able to talk about. Oh, okay, really? That... A, a At least a few. I admire your foresight. I feel I feel very good about myself. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, that song is very good, but it got very annoying because of how often they repeat it over and <laughs> over and over again. This is a great game, and I love it, but it has like four songs. Uh, actually, has a lot of songs, but a lot of them sound very similar. Maybe um, that's even why. Even though the yeah. it's a very laid back uh, soundtrack. Yeah, definitely. Much so. um, but before we discuss any further, let's uh, get the question in the third song out of the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the question is, uh, which accessory does this game somewhat strangely support? Oh, yeah. Okay, this game is Hotel Effin' Dusk. That's right. Hotel Dusk, room 215. Room 215. A uh, little Easter egg for uh, you listeners that you might not know. The game actually stars Evan Birchfield. <laughs> he does. Does he still have the beard? Like, everything? Uh, I don't know. I, if, I don't know if Evan's still sporting the, the Kyle Hyde beard. But, yeah, no. I mean, if you don't know what we're talking about, the game, the Hotel Dusk stars this guy, Kyle Hyde. He's a former cop. Now he's a, kind of a salesman. And uh, he looks just like Evan Birchfield. Literally just like Evan Birchfield. It's uncanny. I know they... All of the characters in the game are actually based on, like, models or actors that they brought in and they, like, they, like rotoscoped them or something. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. The guy just must look disturbing like Evan. But, yeah, no, it, it's, it, it's a... It is a kind of a crazy resemblance that took me uh, kind of aback the first time I saw it. Yeah, um, it was certainly kind of a, a theme gag of sorts for that E3. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, Hotel Dusk, I don't know. Its it soundtrack is a lot of smooth jazz. Yeah, a lot um, of smooth jazz, yeah. The Japanese style is just smooth jazz, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Elevator music, I don't know. Yeah, it's not, definitely. Uh, I don't know if elevator music is quite the right word, but like background B-grade anime music, maybe. Totally. Um, but uh, it's not bad quality stuff. No, it's, it's no, no, pleasant yeah. enough. I, I I could see it getting annoying over a period of time. Yeah, because the thing is, like, they, they always they associate these songs with areas of the hotel they're in, 
Yeah. Because I mean, I guess we should set up for people who don't know. Basically, Kyle Hyde is a salesman, and he ends up at this hotel, and he finds this mystery that kind of goes into something from his past. And throughout, well, throughout the story, you meet characters who may or may not be from his past. And so, when you're going around from room to room, it's kind of like a point-and-click adventure game on the DS, and uh, they associate music with an area. And you're going back and forth a lot of times from area to area, just trying to find like the one clue that's going to get you. You know, it's like an it's an adventure game, so you're you're always trying yeah. to find that one item. You know, clicking the toilet a thousand times to see what comes up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, oh man, I just remember being so frustrated with the music because it's always the same music in the in the freaking bathroom. Like you're always going back there, and it's always the same same music. But I mean, I I can't really get mad at the game for that. I mean, how many songs can they really have stored on there? Um, I don't know. They've got like uh, I want to say a good thirty songs on this. Really, man, I don't remember. I, I suspect a lot of them are, are very context sensitive to like the story, though. Maybe, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe for like for certain parts of the dialogue and for like the cinematic scenes, but yeah, yeah, no. But just like the walking around music, they use it all the time. But despite yeah. that, I mean, Hotel Dusk was one of my favorite games. I think it came out in two thousand seven. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was two thousand seven. Um, it might have. It might have either. I don't even been late 2006, um, but yeah, no, I, it was one of my favorite games on the DS, and uh, actually supported the. I think you could only play it with the the book the book style, right? Yeah, where you turn it on its side, style. yeah. And um, yeah, that was my, I remember that being one of the only games besides like Brain Age that did that. Right, it was kind of a novelty at the time, yeah. And I really, really want to play the sequel, but I don't think it's ever going to come to the United States. Is it like a direct sequel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's got Kyle Hyde in it. It's not. It, it kind of has some of the characters from the last game, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's like a new story, basically. But yeah. the developer uh, Sing is mm-hmm. like they shut down. Like they made they get, they made the game. They uh, I think Nintendo published it in Japan, and uh-huh. then boom, developers shut down. Like whatever. I think it might be coming to Europe, in which case, I really hope it does because then at least there will be an English version of the game that I can import. But, right. Yeah. I mean, as it is. Uh, no, no that's a, that's kind of surprising that a game that was published by Nintendo, the developers went belly up right after that. I mean, um, I think they were kind of hoping. I think they were hoping for that game to sell, and it didn't. And then, you know, so they taking on a loan kind of thing. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the Yakuza were coming by to, to get their money back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, I just to me, I, I guess I don't know how Nintendo does its business and, and how uh, it goes about. Um, paying for the games whether they buy it up front or whether they do a... I'm, I'm not 100% that it was Nintendo that published it in Japan, but I know that... I'm pretty sure they published the first game in America. Yeah, I, I know they did that. Yeah. Um, that's a good point, though. It may have just been in America. It, it, it might have been. I, I'd have to double-check, but... Yeah, no, it's, it's a shame, though, because I've heard the, the second game is actually really good, and what I really loved about the first game is that, you know, it's an adventure game with, like, a legitimately compelling story, and... It's not so, like, point-and-clicky that it's, like, okay, well, here's a block of graphics. Let me, you know, touch every pixel until something happens. Uh, It actually kind of had an engaging way of leading you from place to place. And, I mean, look, you got to take... you got to give the game a lot of credit for having maybe eight settings in the entire game and making it not feel really, really repetitive, you know, music aside. Like, you have to give it credit for that, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's, if it's all taking place within a hotel. Within a hotel, a, exactly, yeah. An inherently uh, confined space. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, unless we're maybe talking about like a Vegas hotel. <laughs> no, no, no. But, it's basically uh, like you've got like five or six rooms and then the lobby, the kitchen, and then like the back door area. Like that's it. Wow. Yeah. So it's no, it was it was really, really good. And uh, yeah, again, check it out. For people who don't know. A game that takes place on an, uh, like a live performance stage set. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, I, I guess we should answer the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, addi- in addition to uh, the game being book mode, um, it featured the Rumble Pack, which... Yeah, I that's don't know weird. I, it, there really isn't any... I mean, having, I didn't play the game with the Rumble Pack. Or did it come with it? No, it didn't come with one. But I mean, I if you had that little... Yeah, cause I, remember, I just remember they had, they had that little GBA accessory where you put it in there and yeah. then it's like a Rumble Pack. Who bought that? I, I don't know anyone who bought that. I don't know. Yeah, I, all I remember though is I really liked playing Drill Dozer because it it was like built into the cartridge. Oh yeah, that, that was fun. But that's that, that kind of makes but... sense, and it's built into the game. Yeah, this is an accessory to a point and click adventure. game. Well, I think you know they had it for. I think it, it was a separate accessory, and then like it would Hotel Dust was just one of the games that supported it. Yeah, I was like, why not include it? But yeah, yeah. But I why remember, bother including it? I, I don't did, understand. Yeah. My, only, my only thing is I don't remember any game, any like flagship, ga- flagship game that included it. Oh, you know what it was? It was Metroid Prime Pinball. That that was probably it. And yeah. I know Mario and Luigi Partners in Time, I think maybe optionally mm-hmm. you could it supported it. Because I know that the, uh, the first one included uh, support. For Rumble on uh, Game Boy players. Yeah, I think um, Metro so. Prime Pinball actually came with the Rumble pack. Okay. Yeah, you know, it would be ironic if the Star if Star Fox Command didn't support it, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's Hotel does for it. Oh, uh, also uh, requested by uh, Random Flash Bang. Oh. So thank you, Mr. Bang. <laughs> Mr. Bang. this is <laughs> that was a kind of a intentionally amorphous selection okay the second song might help okay
Yeah, that's definitely more familiar. And I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have a couple games that might be pegged for this game, but I don't know. i I've def, I definitely don't have as much of a handle on it as the as you know the last game. So um, here is your question. Mm-hmm. So uh, the game's backgrounds are actually based on what famous drawings? Oh, okay. Hmm, that's a good hint, actually. So, is this all right? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a couple guesses just because my my thing I might be on the right track, but probably not. This isn't like a Picross or paneled upon game, is it? You have to choose. Uh, okay, is it a, is it a Picross game? No. Okay, so it's a paneled upon game. No. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. Fine, all, all right. right. It's it's uh, Tetris Two for the ah, NES. I knew it. It was some kind of puzzle game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the original, I actually had a, a different question at first, which kind of made it obvious as a puzzle game. But yeah. um, uh, Tetris 2, um, it's, I guess, sort of a Tetris game. I, it um, It's actually, to me, a little more like uh, Tetris meets Dr. Mario. Mm-hmm. Um, I own it. I, I used to play this game. Um, you have to get four uh, blocks of the same color in a row, and the idea is you're trying to destroy blocks with bombs in them that are pre-placed very much like the viruses in Dr. Mario. Oh, so it's sort um, of like Tetris Attack, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. I think Tetris Attack is, is match three in a row um, in general, versus um, this game, which is, is four in a row, and um, and they're, they're laid out very much like the viruses where they're kind of obstacles you gotta work around after a while. Yeah. Um, I think I actually saw someone playing this at PAX East in the retro gaming room. That's quite possible. The the two player competition it's just about the only uh, puzzle game I have fond memories um, doing multiplayer. I, I don't know quite why. Maybe it's because uh, most of them are, are shorter in nature and maybe the junk system worked pretty well. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. 
but um, it was a pretty enjoyable kind of best out of three type thing. Um, but um, ultimately, you know, it's a puzzle game. It's yeah. isn't going to be too much interactivity in there. I never um, played it personally. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it isn't really Tetris. Yeah. Um, the, the block, it has the traditional block shapes, but it also has kind of disconnected, more abstract block shapes as well that, that come down. So uh, I don't think it was really developed by anyone who worked on the original Tetris team. No, I doubt it. Although... I mean, it was, wasn't it just... It was just Pachinov, wasn't it? I mean, there wasn't really a team. Well, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't really based on... Yeah, I think it was Nintendo doing their own thing with a Tetris license, gotcha. basically. Um... I don't really know how popular this game is, but I played it. I think it came out on the NES Game Boy and Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I actually, yeah, I do remember someone. Someone was playing it at PAX East. I think they were having like a little mini contest. They had it on yeah. the NES. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was there. They pretty much had everything at PAX. Like, yeah, I, I think it was. It was not a rare title to to see. I mean, mm. I think a lot of copies were made. It was, I mean, it was a Nintendo first party game. Yeah. So, um, but. Uh, uh, there are backgrounds that kind of frame the the puzzle area as you might imagine, mm-hmm. and um, they were based off of the Nazca line drawings. Oh, in Peru. okay, yeah, yeah. So like the, the the monkey and the and the bird, and probably some other one. But um, so that's sort of interesting. I yeah, it's a little bit of trivia. Yeah. So so I guess maybe they felt. Uh, the first one was Russian themed, so we're gonna have a second one Peruvian. <laughs> there you go, why not? <laughs> but it has some good music. It's 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 your standard fear puzzle game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to play it, but it's yeah. not a bad game. Mm-hmm. That one was requested by Chris, by the way. So, was although it? I owned it, uh, it was requested by Chris, okay. someone, a listener by the name of Chris. So. You got it, Chris. Yeah, well, your wishes, your wish has been granted. Can't ask for any more favors. Well, he better because I think he asked for quite a few games. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> um, we got one more game here, and uh, this is not a listener request, but uh, but instead a uh, request of megabytes. Okay. So um, enjoy. <laughs> I think I know what system this is on, but that is about it. <laughs> I might get as far as you get on this game. Yeah. Is it, like, really obscure? I think so. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. 
song has a lot of changes in it. It shifts tone a lot. Like it starts and it's very. It wouldn't be out of place in like a Kubrick movie, and then it goes into kind of like a seventies, like almost like porno music, <laughs> and then it like. Then it just sounds like Iron Butterfly. I don't know. It's it's a it's got a lot of weird switches in it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a question. Okay. What is the main character looking for at the start of the game? <laughs> that is a very uh, vague question, man. So what? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't know what this game is. I I don't know. 
<laughs> oh, but the music is very good. The music right? is very good, actually. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see what it is. Um, I mean, I'm guessing it's on the N64. That- well, that's what I would have thought based on the quality of the music. This is a Super Nintendo game. Really? Yeah. Okay, now I'm really interested to know what it is. Yeah, th- this is Pluck for the Super Nintendo. Oh my, um, it's pl- that's, that is actually very interesting that it's Pluck. Because um, there was very, very nearly a reset button with pl- about Pluck. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I contacted the Stay Brothers, and they, they were the ones who, who, uh, who made the game. And they were very down to do it. They just didn't want to do the podcast. They were like, we'll do a written feature, but we don't want to be on a podcast. I was like, well, deal's off, gentlemen. But, uh, wow. Yeah, well, I know. That would have been a shame, because I actually really wanted to do Plock. Mostly because I was, uh, the only people who wanted to do Reset Button were people who had made licensed games, and uh, I had already kind of done that twice in a row, and so I had yeah. to, I was really counting on Plock to, to break it up, but yeah. No, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, unfortunately. But yeah, that, that's really interesting that it was Plock, though. It's uh, it's a very interesting game. I, I'm not sure what Plock is supposed to be. Whether he's like an ant eater or a, a, some sort of puppet or. I think it's a puppet. I don't know. It's it's something weird. It looks like a muppet kind of. Yeah, he, yeah. It's almost like um, dynamite heady or something. Oh yeah, you know that's actually a really interesting comparison. That's kind of what it looks like. Because the, the, the the gameplay is somewhere like dynamite heady or or. Maybe Rayman, where he he's combating by like shooting out his arms, mm-hmm. um, but then he has like a spin jump that's almost like Sonic, um, and a few other power ups. Um, but it, I don't know. The level design definitely reminds me of like Rayman. It's a little slower paced, short levels, mm-hmm. um, but kind of more nooks and crannies to explore based on uh, what I've seen of the game. Yeah, um, and it definitely has British humor. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, like the the whole concept, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, basically someone steals his flag, I guess, to his house. Um, why he has a flag on his house, I don't know. But uh, so he's he's chasing after that, and he's going to level level, trying to find his flag. And so when he gets to the end of a level, he he raises something, and it turns out to be like a sock or pants pants or whatever. And he always has some very like. Well, that's the end of things, or like some very <laughs> British-sounding like way of so- expressing irritation. It's different for each level, so it's kind of funny. Um, now I'm just getting angry, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I, my horrible impression of like Wallace or Gromit or something. Well, it's it's actually not that surprising though that it's a Super Nintendo game. Most people don't know this, but um, the. Uh, this, this, this Super Nintendo soundtrack was actually developed by Sony. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, it's it, and it actually I think it was actually more powerful than the soundtrack in the N64. Well, the N64 didn't have a soundtrack, is my understanding. So maybe that's why um, it was like on board. It was like it, that's it, right. It was using a CPU space, so yeah. there was a little bit of a trade-off there. So a lot of games, you know, got the, the audio got kind of. Mm-hmm. Everything was really compressed, or, or you know, or it just wasn't as, as complex as something you might find on the Super Nintendo. Which is strange, because you know, you think of Super Nintendo games, and a lot of them re- didn't really maximize the sound chip's potential. Like, uh, really didn't. A lot, a lot of Nintendo games did, because obviously, you know, who knows the platform rather than them. But I mean, if you think about third-party games, there most of them just sounded like you know what you would what you expect from like maybe like a Genesis or something like that. Well, yeah, because they were composing specifically on a MIDI and then doing some sort of translation to Super Nintendo instead of 
tailoring it to the capabilities of the the chip and and it's still MIDI, but it, you know, especially like Rare and, and apparently um, the, I guess the Fallen Brothers who composed um, the music in this game, mm-hmm. um, they're very much into exploiting the uh, the the sound chips both mm-hmm. on the NES and Commodore 64 and and so whatever platform you give them, they're, they're very much about uh, maximizing that in the audio space. And so, you know, Donkey Kong Country series has really fantastic music. And, oh, yeah. And this game has really fantastic music. And uh, I was really surprised to hear that it was a Super Nintendo game. Like, I immediately, as soon as I, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's a 64 game because it's so clear. Well, yeah, and, so, and some of the songs actually sound very much like something you would hear in, in Banjo-Kazooie or something. Definitely, yeah. Uh, from this game. Um, it just goes to show that the N64 is a weird beast, and mm-hmm. Super Nintendo audio is better than than most people give credit for. I mean, it, I guess it's better than the DS. I mean, DS is also in software, but software processing has improved so much since oh, yeah, N64 course. days. So um, it's not really fair to compare the two. But yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for a dedicated sound chip. Absolutely. I think it showed. I mean, you know, especially, I mean, come on, you know, when you were, com- when you were comparing, like, sound from the PS1 to the N64, it was like a no-brainer. Yeah. Like, they, well, it was, like, destroyed. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, here they're doing a chip tune with, with clever sampling, and it sounds, in my opinion, better and more natural-sounding and more interesting than what nowadays people would do, which is, like, record an MP3 or an AUG of, of a synthesized musical track and mm-hmm. just do a loop on that. No, I agree. Um, I mean, this sounds much more... Um, it sounds really multi-layered, I guess. Like you know, it's, yeah. it's it, it, there's a, you feel like there's a lot going on in the background. Or I mean, you kind of you sort of think of the, the types of songs you would hear on a Super Nintendo, and they're, they're you know they're usually pretty very basic. You know, not a lot of like multiple tracks going on. Usually, maybe two or three going on at once. And I mean, with this one, you hear five, six, seven. Like you know, it, yeah. it really gets up there. Yeah. Anyway, um, Fox is an interesting game. I I don't know how great the gameplay is based on what I watched of it, but. Um, it's distinct and it has its own flavor. And uh, it was published in Europe by mm. Nintendo. I, I was looking this up. It's kind of strange. It was developed in the UK, but it was released first in Japan. And uh, I want to say like I want to say like Activision published it uh, in Japan. That's kind of odd. Yeah, it was defe- it was published by Activision in Japan, hmm. Trade West in America, and then finally. In 1994, supposedly, according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, in Europe by Nintendo, <laughs> which seems almost backwards. You'd think that if it was developed in the UK, it might come out first in Europe. But you'd think so. But Nintendo of Europe, I mean, if they're if they're bad now, imagine what they were like back in the 90s. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that would have been an interesting thing to talk to them about. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think Plog was actually pretty well reviewed when it when it originally came out. I think I think it got pretty high marks. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, it, it's a quality game. I mean, yeah. especially the presentation. It, it definitely. I mean, it doesn't do the pre-rendering thing, like a Donkey Kong Country, but that's probably for the best. It's, yeah, I mean, that's, that doesn't a, usually age well. Yeah, very crisp sprite graphics is, is basically what they're going for. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of like if you took Super Mario World and 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 made it more detailed or something. I mean, because I think there's. I think it's doing more of the zoomed in, higher, bigger sprites thing. Oh yeah, don't totally it's, yeah. It's yeah. A, because it's a slower-paced game mm-hmm. than uh, even Mario, so. Yeah, I think anyway. I, actually, I actually remember there being quite a bit of Mode Seven in that, wasn't there? I don't know. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's just my memory playing tricks on me. But uh, yeah, a, a good a good game, nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, so you get to hear about Plock even though there was not a reset button on it. And, Unfortunately, and, maybe sometime and, in the future. Uh, yeah, you know, if, uh, if the Pickford brothers are listening to this, highly unlikely, but <laughs> yeah. if they are, and, uh, the door is probably still open. So yeah. um, that uh, is going to end this episode of Radio Trivia. Um, oh, man. It's, it was good to be here and all that. Don't get me wrong, I had a blast, but I am going to be glad to turn my air conditioner back on because <laughs> I am in South Florida and it is hot. Yeah. Well, um, before we go, uh, I, I do want to remind folks that uh, if you like the podcast, uh, please let us know, uh, post and talk back thread, or uh, even better, uh, write a review on iTunes. We, we have a iTunes page and uh, you can subscribe through iTunes and, um, and let other people know. I mean, uh, tell your friends. Tell your friends, <laughs> or else I'll come and hunt you down. No, seriously, I you know what I do? I, I, this is so, this is this is so like deranged and crazy. But whenever I go into an Apple store and I use a computer there, I always leave it on the Radio Free Nintendo homepage. <laughs> ah, I see. Do the uh, do the underground marketing. Oh yeah, totally. I'm out there. Yeah. I'm I'm out there doing things. All right. Well. Um, <laughs> If anything else, do it for me. Exactly. Do it for TYP. <laughs> but yeah, share the, spread the love, guys, mm-hmm. and uh, and send in your requests too. I mean, I got lots of great requests, and I and I want more of them. So, um, I don't know who will be on next, but I'm sure it'll be a great episode. And thank you so much for joining me, Carl. And uh, oh, it was it was so awesome to be here. Hopefully, it will not be three more years until, uh, <laughs> until not, you co-host again. If not, see on the long road to episode 146. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Later, everybody.
Diller 7 is copyright 2005, Capcom, Grasshopper Manufacturer. Mega Man 9 is copyright 2008, Capcom. Hotel Dusk, Room 215 is copyright 2007, Nintendo, Sing. Tetris 2 is copyright 1987, Elrog, 1989-1993, Nintendo. Block is copyright 1993, John Pickford and Steve Pickford. Definitely. I mean, that's. I think that's definitely a game that like flew under the radar that more people need to play. I think it was actually awarded like best sleeper hit or something for one of our it awards. Deserves it. Yeah, I mean, so awesome. I don't remember if I gave it an eight or a nine, but I gave it a really high score. Um, and I, I mean, it has its problems. It has a lot of slowdown. And, it does. Yeah, it really pushes the hardware. But um, I mean, as a game, as a balanced game, it's mm-hmm. really good. I mean, and also like if you're at all a fan of Osama Tezuka, like it's got all of his characters in it like it's totally you know like it's got it doesn't it doesn't keep itself just the astro boy universe it pretty much branches right. out everywhere which the is, thing is i i didn't know anything about any of those universes but i still thoroughly enjoyed the game and that says something oh yeah totally i mean when you when there's a guy who's like <laughs> like the rainbow peacock detective like you don't need you don't need to know who he is you just need to know that he's awesome 